Welcome back to Love, Life, and Legacy, the podcast dedicated to helping you navigate these hypersexualized times. And in today's episode, Benji and I are talking about something we've delved into before, but we're going deeper this time. It's about sexual imprinting. Now, it's not a widely discussed topic, but it's so foundationally and fundamentally important in terms of understanding why you experience sex the way that you do, the way that you think about sex, the way that you feel about sex, and how a lot of this is shaped by the images and the way in which you were exposed to sex in the beginning. This formed a kind of a blueprint for what you deemed to be normal throughout adolescence and all the way up until now. So to understand it and to figure out how it's impacting you is really important. And I do want to clarify that there is something really important that we discussed at the end, kind of like a revelation. And it's in the last, I don't know, seven minutes of the podcast. And this is not hypey, just kind of like trying to get you to listen to the whole episode. But honestly, I started this conversation with Benji thinking one way. And we, after chewing on the topic for a while, we started to hit our groove and we really got somewhere new. We charted some new territory for Benji and myself and for this podcast in general. So I highly encourage you to listen to the whole episode. It's a very good one. So I'll see you on the other side. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back, everybody. We got a week to be set up. Benji's back on track. Where were you? Where'd you just get back from? I was at UTS in New York. We were giving a high noon presentation for the CARP leaders of America. There's about 100 young, fantastic brothers and sisters there. And Karina and I went there to give some presentations. And it was awesome. Really good experience. How many presentations? We gave two. And then we had a few testimonies from people who have been through high noon programs. And it was, I think, really powerful. You know, this is like our meat and potatoes, bread and butter, our uh, penis and vagina of our work. It's like talking to young people who are preparing for marriage and blessing and trying to get their sexual integrity in order. And we really, really sold sold them hard on the idea of high noon and doing something about it. So we had a whole ton of people register right there on the spot for our programs. So we're really excited about that. I heard you did a hard sale. We did. It was like, you know, you get like have those sales where they're like, sometimes they're like, okay, guys, thanks for your time. I'm going to send you a link and you can register. And people usually don't register, you know, if you do that. But we're like, all right, guys, I was like, pull out your phones right now. We're going to register right now, you know, because if you want to join, you're going to join right now. And if you decide you're going to join tomorrow, chances are you're probably not going to do it tomorrow. And then you're just going to think, I'll just put it off until I have time and you're not going to end up doing it. And that's what happens generally. So they did it. We didn't pressure them. I mean, it's totally free. Our programs are totally free. So there's no need to be overly salesy in anything. So I think it was good. Sweet. Yeah, I think conscientious people are terrible salespeople because they're worried about how the other person feels being sold to rather than why you're there in the first place. If you have something that you're actually proud of, right? Don't mm. be ashamed of it. Don't be ashamed of it. And then human psychology is very clear. Like if I know that about sales. If somebody's like later, later means no. Later mm-hmm. means never. They're just trying to be nice. You'd be like, just say no. Or just say yes. Or just do something now. Otherwise, you're not going to do it. That's the craziest thing. This idea of people are like, oh, I just need two weeks. And I was like, for what? What mm-hmm. exactly is going to take place? <laughs> you're going to think really hard and squeeze out an answer? Anyway, so cool. Glad you're back. How's traveling? Everything smooth? 
Yeah, everything's smooth. Perfect. It's only an hour flight from North Carolina to New York, so really short. Yeah, pretty awesome. My American geography, regardless of how much I go around America, is Mm -hmm. horrible. (laughs) So I'm glad. Okay, well, we wanted to talk about imprinting today, sexual imprinting, but imprinting in general. I think we've touched on it in the past, but it's something very important topic to revisit continually because, okay, so we had set this topic a few few weeks ago, like a bunch of weeks ago. And then in between setting this topic for this week and now, I actually watched a bunch of Jurassic Parks. Our kids got into it, even the first one. And one of them was talking about imprinting. And it got into it a bit. And then it just kind of reminded me of this topic. And then I started going down that rabbit hole a bit. And it's so cool and bizarre that you know, when an animal is first exposed to whatever's in front of them, they just assume that it's their mother, <laughs> right? And Mongolians actually do this, or kind of Kazakhstanians slash Mongolians, Uzbekistanians, they all do this thing where they climb up into the mountains and catch these really rare birds, these massive eagles, get the eagle to imprint onto them, and then they train that eagle to go hunting for them. And these eagles are so big that they catch lamb, you know, and wow. billy goats and stuff like that. They can catch it with their talons. They're so huge. But it's this, the art of catching and raising a bird so that it believes that it is your child. So that's animal imprinting. And humans are obviously more complex. But in terms of sexuality, there's so much sexual imprinting that goes into our behavior, that goes into our belief systems, that goes into what we view to be normal. And that is how we're exposed to sex growing up and how we talk about it and the feelings that are associated are all a part of our imprinting. You're etching in layers of belief into your psyche, unconscious and conscious, but mostly unconscious. And then that just becomes your identity. Oh, this is who I am, right? Like a bird who is imprinted onto a human is like, yeah, I'm a bird and that's a bird too. And somebody's like, no, bro. That's a human. See how they don't have wings? See how they're way bigger than you and they like completely different? Like, no, that's a human or I'm a human or whatever, whatever they think. I'm sure they don't reason it. But with humans, it's like, oh yeah, this is my sexual identity. And it's like this hard and fast, Mm -hmm. yeah, this is who I am because that's how I was born. And there's very little consideration into all the imprinting that went into that. So I, I wanted to kind of unpack this a bit. Okay, that leads to like, Questions like, when were you first exposed to sex? That's a part of your imprinting. Whether the first time you experienced sex was walking in on your parents. That's one thing versus the first time you exposed to sex, porn. Mm -hmm. So I guess let's get into ourselves and then we can kind of unpack this a little bit more for other people. So in terms of your own sexual imprinting, Benji, what became your kind of blueprint based off of what you experienced about sex? Like, did you grow up feeling comfortable with the topic of sex or not? And how is that kind of imprinted into you? Yeah, I mean, I think for everyone in my generation, I kind of give grace to my parents because they really didn't understand the impacts or the prevalence of sexual content online or on TV, right? So I think about it now, but like my parents would, if they're watching this or listening, I love you guys, but they would leave me in like the hotel during conferences, like church conferences for like hours and hours with cable TV. And I think about that now, now I'm like, how did they 
like how can you think like that? <laughs> like it's a totally different not, world in terms of like leaving you your not, kids anywhere right it's yeah different. or like leaving us at home with the like unfiltered access to the internet it's like i mean as someone that grew up in you know with porn around every corner that's unfathomable to me I don't want to be someone who's like overly protective, but at least giving the framework and the the guidebook for kids to understand and how to yeah. use it. And to be honest, we did, we didn't talk about sexuality at all in our family until it was too late. <laughs> and we're pretty much exposed to this kind of stuff. Your yeah, imprinting, just to kind of cut back, was then culture. So you're watching other people's oh, yeah. movies, doing it, doing yep. it, doing it. So you're exposed to the act of sex. Think about this. There's like the youthful innocence where you have no awareness of what this thing is. Or maybe you even like I remember hearing about it in some cryptic way as a kid where like an older sibling was like, oh, th these people do this. And you're like, what the? Well, that doesn't make. And you just kind of put it out of your mind because it seems like gobbledygook, right? So there's like pre-awareness life and then there's seeing it and all that comes with it. So you were seeing it First, I guess, in a softcore way through cable TV, they're not showing hardcore porn, obviously. Mm -hmm. But you're seeing the imagery of sexuality and like, but you're mm -hmm. not talking about it with your parents. So your imprinting is seeing these images right. without explanation. And what does that leave you with? What kind of feelings does that well, leave that you this, Well, first of all, it's the first time I saw porn I was disgusted and intrigued. It was like shocking. Like, this is gross, but obviously very curiosity inducing. And obviously it was like, this is what sexuality is like. This is what sex is. That's what I thought. So you just knew what it was. Yeah. It's kind of like I had to unlearn that through sure. the process of quitting porn. But my first imprint was like, this is what sexuality is. But I remember, and I think about it now, it's like, actually it's not. Because if you think about sexuality as a connective experience, watching something on TV or online is the opposite of a connective experience. So it's kind of like porn or sexual content is the opposite of sex. But I was led to believe that this is what sex is. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, that's really interesting because it's disconnected, right? So the body is stimulated, but the rest of you is not connected to anything. That's really common, I guess, that most people's experience with sex is actually detachment. It's mm. the feeling of sexiness without the emotion of being loved or anything. Yeah. Like horniness, basically. That's what, that's what the essence of horniness is, is like, my body wants this thing. And well, we honest, view that I, as common, right? In this world, it's kind of common. Like, I feel horny because I was watching sexual stuff, but yeah. it's actually kind of disturbing and weird and gnarly yeah. the fact that most of our experience with sex, not just first, but like the first many, is completely detached from any meaning or purpose or value. It's just the feeling of horniness, the bodily yeah. experience of sex. Well, and pair that with masturbation. It's like, you're just helping me remember this right now. I remember at a winter workshop, like New Year's workshop, we were making like repentance letters and burning them, sending them to God. I was like nine, 10 years old. And I remember writing down that this year, I'm sorry, God, that I had sex so many times. <laughs> That's what I wrote. Because to me, masturbating was actually like I was having sex. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I honestly, God, believe that I was falling. Because I was led to believe that this content online is actually what real sexuality is like. You know what I'm saying? Sure, 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 sure. So that's, that's terrifying. That's if you're sad. saying like, that I kind of about, stuff. I think about myself back then. I'm like, that's sad, man. Like, I wish I could just go back and be like, hey, have you masturbated? You know, like, let's talk. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Got it. So then given the fact that 
you're associating something bad with something that makes your body feel good, then leads you into this paradox that is unbridgeable Mm. as an individual. Like you can't sort that, especially as a kid, you can't sort through that. So then you have this thing that's hyper-stimulating and guilt-inducing. That's a recipe for disaster. So imprinting is really interesting because what you view, especially initially, and then if you view it the first time, it leaves a huge impression. Like most people remember the first porn that they've ever seen because it really, it's like you have Mm. this raw canvas and that's like not only painted, but it's etched into that canvas. But then you start layering on top of it repetition, 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 repetition. You keep on watching porn, hardcore, softcore, whatever. You're creating this situation where that's what not only you view to be normal, but that is reality itself. There is nothing outside of that because that's all you know, because you've just repeated it so many times that that's truth, actually. Right? That's truth. Mm. And so... It's like conditioning you to believe that certain behaviors between men and women are normal, certain types of sex are normal, and that you should behave a certain way. And we've heard that from so many people in their testimonies. And the fact that porn nowadays is becoming much more violent and extreme. I've read countless statistics and surveys and testimonies from people, especially women who are like, I was just like, with this guy and then he started choking me, you know, because that's just becoming more normalized in porn. So it's like it's being enacted more. And it's like abhorrent behavior, clearly, right? Clearly, if you're objectively, if you're just going down the street and like, hey, is it okay to strangle somebody? And if the question was like, sometimes, depending on the situation uh, or never, I think the average person would say it's never okay to strangle somebody, right? It's like a hateful act of, suffocating somebody, right? Mm. Constricting their breath. And yet it's becoming increasingly more common, not because humanity is seeking after new ways to hurt each other, but because we're being conditioned Mm. by this imprinting, by this repetition of imprinting these violent images for no other reason. And to be a little bit graphic, but I'm not going to get into details because I know everybody's situation, but like the idea of anal sex to me is absolutely the advent of porn because Mm -hmm. they did surveys before porn was a thing like a hundred years ago it was always called sodomy for a while and please hear me out people because we don't usually get this graphic on this podcast but it was always considered to be kind of a vile act especially amongst heterosexual couples but marketing is a tricky son of a gun marketing Mm -hmm. like sells you on stuff that you don't necessarily want or need just like We don't need leather jackets, but if you see the right person or people wearing leather jackets, all of a sudden you want it. Anal sex is the exact same. It serves no functional purpose, but it's such a huge part of the imagery lexicon of porn. And it's so normalized. And it's a part of the dynamic of making somebody suffer, which is what porn inherently is. It's like the dominance of somebody else, subjugating somebody else. That's becoming a huge part of And I'm not here to judge anybody or anything like that. We've had these discussions in High Noon. We're not here to like get on a soapbox and yell at you for these kind of, but just understand that this was not a normal part of sexual psychology or behavior up until it became normalized in porn. I mean, I'm talking about anal sex. It's It's like a desensitization act. Absolutely. 
So this for me highlights a really common relevant point to a lot of people who are struggling with a porn habit or any addiction for that matter. So several times on our YouTube channel, the high noon, uh, we get comments from people that just find us randomly, right? And the comment is something along the lines of like, what's the big deal? I enjoy porn. I enjoy it. So it's not a big deal, right? Sure. And I always make a point to comment back. I say, you don't enjoy porn. You've developed a dependency on it. Because this is, I mean, with whatever kind types of sex people have, et cetera, et cetera. It's like people will justify and say, oh, I was like, oh, I like being choked or I enjoy yeah. choking people. Therefore, it's, it's, it's fine. It's natural. No, you don't. You actually dislike it. You've developed a dependency on it. And the same is for porn. When people first watch porn, it's not that enjoyable, actually. When people first smoke, it's not that enjoyable, right? But because it's a chain link addiction, the dependency is there. You find out that's like, oh, when I do this, when I'm stressed, it helps me de-stress. And then all of a sudden you feel like you enjoy it. But I would say that you don't enjoy it. You just have the depend dependency on it. And that's how addiction is created, right? Yeah. Well, this is interesting because I do see holes in that logic, but it's not because I disagree with it. I just feel like this is something kind of uncharted territory for us in this, in this podcast, yeah. in this debate. And so we do have to think about it. But the idea of do you like it or not? That's very subjective. And it's kind of dangerous to tell people that they don't like something that they experience joy from because who are you to say kind of thing. But at the same time, I know exactly what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. I know exactly. And part of it is it's not the thing. It's how it makes you feel because you've added meaning to it. Something that's substantial like smoking, it actually is triggering a certain chemical reaction in you, which gives you mm -hmm. pleasure, right? But Obviously, smoking kills you, like that's been proven. So it's not that you enjoy killing yourself in small doses of poison. It's mm -hmm. that it produces chemicals within you that are enjoyable and you're willing to pay the price, which is, you know, sucking in air that's toxic, <laughs> right? So why, why, does it, why is it that people that smoke a pack a day develop that need over a long period of time and they can't just be satisfied with one a day? Oh, yeah, yeah. That's because chemically it is addictive, obviously. But- it's not the smoking that's enjoyable per se. It's the ritual because I know plenty of people that they love the cigarette after a meal. And there's actually reasons, scientific reasons why, why that's the case, right? But again, you are willingly ingesting poison. It's not just tobacco. It's all the additives that are in all cigarettes in the Western world, right? That actually there's like arsenic and all sorts of crazy stuff that actually are poisonous to you. But it's the fact that when you eat and then you smoke, the ritual of taking out this thing is cathartic because now you're either alone and pensive mm -hmm. and you're smoking by yourself or you're in a social setting. And if you're with smokers, I know a ton of smokers and that's how they make a ton of friends anywhere they go. They're like, hey man, could I bum a cigarette? And all of a sudden they have a new best friend, right? So it's either highly social or highly kind of reflective. So there's the ritual aspect, but then there's the residual chemical aspect. And I don't want to get too technical, but like that's also, if you think about it, porn or sexuality, it's not necessarily the act, but it's the ritual of with something like porn, it's being by myself yeah. and going into this fantasy land. But then there's also the residual chemical enjoyment, which is I have this massive dopamine spike. Well, I think it's also important to define pleasure. Sure. Because you can define pleasure by short-term pleasure or long-term pleasure. Yeah, yeah, I would yeah. say short-term pleasure, yeah, smoking is pleasurable. Watching porn is pleasurable. But long-term pleasure, probably not. Oh, for sure. It's, it's like a, another example is, is fitness exercise. If someone goes to the gym and then they like start bench pressing or whatever, and it's really hard because they've never done it before. And then they say, oh, this is too hard. I'm going to give up. 
Short-term pleasure, yeah, it's easier to give up. But long-term pleasure, what's harder? Going to the gym and being healthy, eating healthy, or being overweight and dying early because you're unhealthy. So I think it's just a matter of people's definitions of pleasure. And people that tend to have addictions tend to think short-term pleasure as opposed to what is actually healthy and actually pleasurable as a lifestyle. Hey, if you're getting something good from this episode, you will probably really enjoy our other podcast, The Blessed Couple Podcast, where we talk about how to create a smashing marriage and experience God in the process. And yes, we talk a lot about sex. We have incredible guest speakers that I think you're going to really love. All you have to do is search for Blessed Couple Podcast on your favorite podcast player or just click the link in the description of this episode. Thanks. Back to the show. And this, I got to go back to the idea of imprinting because this actually is a very sneaky way that imprinting influences us in that when we associate emotions with something that we've seen. So let's say you watch a movie. Let's say you have a favorite movie star and every time you watch their movie, they're so cool and they make you feel cool when you act like them. I knew this Mm -hmm. one dude that kind of looked like Brad Pitt. This was like 20 years ago and he had really long hair. And he would get this compliment a lot. And I could see that it was coming out in his personality that he started to kind of laugh like it because he was getting validation, you know? So he was becoming this thing because he associated Brad Pitt with being cool and he felt cool acting like him and he was being validated by the world around him. So he was getting the benefits of role playing, right? He was playing the role of being like Brad Pitt. This, if you think about porn, it's the same thing. When you watch certain scenarios and you associate pleasure with those scenarios and then you start acting them out in your life and you get validation, you get validation from the choking or for whatever because Mm -hmm. they're acting like the people in the screen made you feel, then this is more ways in which your imprinting is then getting more imprinting because it's solidifying it in terms of your identity of what you think is natural, what you think is right but it's all based off of broken template that's based on fantasy and based off of you copying something else other than something that's what's truly natural to you. Do you see that? So like, it's quite sneaky that when we watch porn and base romance off movies, most of the pleasure that you're deriving is actually copying and role-playing what you're seeing in media. You feel cool because you're getting validation that you're like them, like the people you saw in in the movie, like the people you've been watching in porn, like the music videos that you've been watching. And then it makes you feel special, but because it's not true, then it doesn't last. And then it also leads to insecurities because it's your role playing and you're never actually authentic. Does that make sense? So like watching porn doesn't make for better sex and copying porn actually leads to more sexual dissatisfaction for both people, statistically speaking, right? But like you said, short-term pleasure, but Mm -hmm. long-term does not help. There's no stat. There are psychologists that try to push this idea, but there's no statistical actual validation that is true that if a couple's suffering, they -hmm. just need to watch more porn and then their relationship will be better. And it's never the case. There was someone I was talking to yesterday at UTS in New York and he has been experiencing this, the ramifications of sexual imprinting very much in his life right now. So he took me aside right before I was about to leave UTS and great guy, you know. That happens a lot, by the way. 
they're thinking about it so much and they want to do it, but they're also terrified. And then it's like the second you're about to leave, they're like, oh my God. And then something takes over. Can I talk to you? No, <laughs> yeah. awesome, awesome high noon dude. I love him to death. He's probably listening to this. See, he was talking about his kind of ups and downs with his sexual integrity. And he's kind of in a new level of in his life right now where he's more isolated, more alone just because of life circumstances, right? And so he said he's been really struggling. And he's essentially kind of given up on trying, right? In the sense of trying, like being part of a high group, which he was, and now he's starting again because of our conversation, right? But he stopped being part of a group and he stopped really investing in it. And so I asked him like specifically the last time that you acted out, what were you telling yourself? Like, what was the justification going through your mind in that very moment? And he said like, well, I was really bored. And then like the next second he was watching porn. There was no decision-making time. So the, the time window for him was like a spike. And it wasn't like a gradual, it was just like, I'm bored instantly, like alleviate this boredom with, with some kind of stimulant. And so I was like, okay, what is your brain telling you? And he's like, well, I felt aroused and I really didn't want to be aroused. And I felt like this would help my arousal. It'll help me stop being aroused and this uncontrollable desire to release, right? And I was like, do you think that's true? Do you think that's true that porn masturbation is the only way to alleviate your arousal? And he was like, yeah, in the moment, I do believe that. And then, so I helped him ask him questions and I helped him understand that this is sexual imprinting 101. You're not aroused because you're an overly sexed, sex drive, high sex drive person. You're, you're aroused because porn. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because you have come to a place where even the thought of porn arouses you, or even the Instagram picture or YouTube thumbnail arouses you. That's all sexual imprinting because your brain believes or you believe that that's what sexual, sexuality is about. So you've come to the place where something even remotely sexual in content will arouse you to the point that you believe that this is arousal and that you need to alleviate this thing. And I told him, I looked at him, I was like, you know, you've actually trained yourself to respond to this type of thing to the point that you are becoming more aroused in quotations over time. You're becoming more of a high sex drive person because you're relying on these artificial forms of sexuality through sexual imprinting and desensitization. And he was like, whoa. I was like, yeah. So next time your brain tells you, you need to masturbate because you're aroused. You can fight that with logic and say, actually, if I do this, I'm just going to be more aroused over time. And I was like, is that true? Like, have you found yourself more aroused easily over the last few years? And I was like, yeah, well, that's the power of desensitization and exponential growth in your addiction. So, and this for me was really, and I shared my experience was I kind of in a similar vein, I, I believed that porn was helping me with stress relief, right? And I honestly believed that until I realized that it was actually making me more stressed and more anxious. And I was waking up in the middle of the night, like afraid that someone would find out or just like, I can't believe like, I can't believe I'm still doing this. Like that kind of thought was going through my mind. I was like, I can't believe this is part of my life. So I realized that I was, it was making me more irritable and more stressed out because every time I was stressed out, I wasn't dealing with the stress in a productive way and I was running away. And I kept doing that to the point that I believed that I needed PMO just to not be stressed. And if you do that over a long period of time, it makes you more stressed out because you never learn how to deal with it. So for him, he was like, whoa. I was like, yeah, you're not an overly high sex drive person. You just have been trained to be aroused. Yeah. And you can train yourself out of it. If you can train yourself into it, you can train yourself out of it too. Yeah. It's kind of, again, the meaning that you add to the act, right? So I will be okay if I just do this thing. I will be relieved. I will be calm. I will be et cetera, et cetera. So he's now painting porn as the kind of panacea to his short-term problems. Like this mm. thing will fix me over the short term. And so the more that you start to really subscribe to that and believe it and experience it and validate it, the more that that just becomes true. And again, 
that's a part of our cultural insanity is that it keeps on reiterating the same lie, regardless of the facts, regardless of how people feel, regardless of the clear state of our society, which is like super anxious, super depressed, super isolated, all these negative things. But it keeps on pushing this narrative that we just need more sex, even though we're oversexed to an insane degree. But it's just because we're adding so much meaning to sex that is false, right? That you'll be cool if you have sex, you'll be happy, you'll be all these things, which is not true. It's sex is a bonding, binding experience. And without the meaning and value of having somebody else that you love in that experience, it actually takes something away from you. So the Western way of approaching it is porn, masturbation, whatever. Just do whatever because it's just like a physical act because we're very detached from ourselves and from nature. That's the Western, that comes from the imperialist British worldview, which is like go somewhere and just decimate it, dominate it, but don't learn about it or relate to it. But then the Eastern way is also kind of messed up because, you know, you look at Taoism and all this stuff and Buddhism, which kind of says that sex is bad because it's a loss. It's a net loss. So you should save up this energy. Whereas if you look at the balance, sex in and of itself is a bonding agent if used well. And you do recoup that energy lost if you're with somebody that you love because you're imprinting your love upon that person when you have sex with them. You feel more connected to them. You feel you trust them more. It's on both sides. This is like chemically and you know scientifically well documented that the more you have sex with somebody, the more that you've invested in them, the more that you trust them, the more that you feel close to them, you know, emotionally, mentally. But it's predicated on the fact that you're already in a relationship with somebody that you trust and love. It makes it more so. And devoid of that, sex without somebody that you love, so masturbation or casual sex, also amplifies your insecurities more. It just makes more of whatever already is, is. So if you're lonely, the masturbation will make you more lonely. And if you're in a committed relationship with somebody that you love, it'll make you more in love with them. Hmm. See, so sex is an amplifier of what already is. But our imprinting through media does not let us know that. It just says that sex is this really exciting thing and it doesn't matter who you're with so long as you're attracted to them. And it doesn't try to clean up the mess that it created. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) Because if that was true, then Hollywood would be the the epicenter of love and camaraderie and all this. And it's not, it's the epicenter of dysfunction. I have never met someone who masturbated and then right after was like, I'm going to go change the world. Like, I'm going to go start a business. I'm going to go work out. You know, it's like usually opposite. (laughs) So, no, I agree. I think every time my wife and I are intimate, it's like, yeah, the next day is always awesome in terms of our our relationship. We're both very like happy, cloud nine, inspired. It does a net positive for sure. And if you think about the things that get a bad rap, so there's sex, money, power, they're all just amplifiers in the same way. Money isn't inherently good or bad. It depends on you. If you're a very altruistic, generous person, you're going to do some really cool things with that money. You're going to create foundations. You're going to do all this stuff to change the landscape. But if you're a corrupt person, very easily that it's going to be the death of you. (laughs) But same with sex. Same with, you know, power. Power can be used in a very good way. If you have a voice where people listen, you could raise awareness on certain things or whatever, but it could also turn you into a horrible monster. So all of these things are not inherently good or bad. They're amplifiers of what already is. Just potential energy. That's what someone told me once. Sure. Power power is just potential energy. Same with sex. Okay, so I think 
I think we should end it here. That was, we went all sorts of places I didn't expect. But the idea is that like imprinting really is like a template for what you view to be normal, both from a intellectual perspective of like how you see the world, but also emotionally, what you feel is normal. And so to look back at your templates, to look back at this imprinting and to learn about where you got these ideas from and how you relate to sex and, and what are the origins of that and to clean that up. We all need cleaning up, trust me, because we all have a lot, you know, dysfunction baked into us because there's all sorts of madness that we've learned from our environment, from society, whatever. So to kind of look at that and then to sort through that and to create a new normal for yourself based off of who you want to be, right? Sexual integrity is when your sexuality is in line with your values and your beliefs. And so in order to get that, you kind of have to sort through, well, what do I already assume about sex and feel about sex and like what's good and what's harmful? So I hope this was helpful. And as always, Benji, what should they do after they listen to this? We love you. Give us love. No, no, no. What's the hard sell? I thought you were into hard sells these days. Oh, hell, hard sell. Let us know if you have any questions or feedback. And you must absolutely join a high noon program if you want to take (laughs) your life to the next level. There is absolutely no risk at all for you. It's everything we do is completely free right now. And everything we do is not that difficult. If you think 13 weeks for a program is hard, then you don't have a life. Sorry. It's only one hour a week. It's only one hour a week for 13 weeks. If you don't have one hour a week, then we can't help you. But hard sell. I guarantee you spend 10 times that on social media per week. (laughs) At least, at least. (laughs) Okay, yeah, thank you everybody. And we'll see you next time. Thank you. Hey, Andrew Love here. And I wanted to plant a seed in your mind before you go. You see, a lot of people, when they start to consume our content, they listen to our podcasts, they watch our videos, they read our blogs, they start to believe in the idea of freedom as a possibility for them and their lives. And it is. You can break free from porn. You can build amazing, eternal relationships. But it requires you to make the jump. It requires you to commit to transformation. And that only happens when you invite other people into your journey. You see, a lot of people think that because I got into porn by myself, I can get out of it by myself. And that's the wrong thinking. It's not about simply removing a negative force from your life. It's about creating fulfillment and connection and intimacy with other people. So we really recommend, first and foremost, that you build a team of accountability partners, facilitators, group members, and we can do that. We have all that waiting for you, but you need to first reach out to us. If you already have people in your life that you think can help you, we have online courses that will teach you both how to create a dynamic that works in terms of accountability. But if you don't have an accountability partner, we already have volunteers who are waiting for somebody to help. We have groups that are waiting for somebody like you. But your role and your job is to merely reach out to us and we can work together with you to create a powerhouse team so that you can build the life of your dreams. We look forward to hearing from you.